Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are back, baby, talking about the bad batch. <laughs> Had to do two Bs. Uh, so many Bs. <laughs> so many Bs. Well, I was re-watching the finale a couple weeks ago, and I was reminded of the Bad Batch bachelor pad <laughs> that they had on Camino. That is oh my God. sadly gone I forgot now, about that. but it, I remember... Anyway, I was just laughing about the Bad Batch Bachelor Pad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we are back with season two of The Bad Batch, and I am so excited to have this show back in our lives. I love The Bad Batch. I love this group. I love Omega. I'm so excited to see Omega. I'm I'm just really happy to be here. <laughs> Me too. It's, okay. We love Star Wars animation here on Sky Talkers, and it is just so great to be back in a Star Wars animation groove of weekly animated shows, telling amazing stories. I don't know. I love The Bad Batch too. I feel like it's partially slept on in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Last season of The Bad Batch like had no misses. There was no filler. It was just amazing. And I hate saying the word filler. We know this, but it was just every single episode was so good. And can't wait for season two. It's going to be great. So Caitlin and I are actually recording this on December 11th. We got these two episodes early and we're so excited to talk about them and to dive into season two. So we have two episodes to talk about today. Season two, episode one, Spoils of War. It was written by Jennifer Corbett, directed by Stuart Lee, and story editor Matt Mitch Michnovitz. And then episode two is called Ruins of War. The writer is Gina Lucida Monreal. The director is Nathaniel Villanueva, and the story editor is also Matt Michnovitz. So here we are. We're back. We're back. We're back in the Bad Batch voucher pad. But it's just <laughs> the Marauder because, as, just the Marauder. as stated, Camino is kaputz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, before we get too far in, though, I do want to make sure we shout out that we did some roundtable interviews with um, for a press day for the Bad Batch with Dee Bradley Baker, Michelle Ong, Brad Rao, and Jennifer Corbett. And those were really, really fun. Um, they are up now on the feed. And... I got to say, Dee Bradley Baker gave this answer about kind of like why Star Wars is so great. And it was one of the best why Star Wars is so great answers I think I've heard in a really long time. <laughs> and I Char agree. Charlotte and I were texting in the middle of it and we're like, this is wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it it was, was amazing. Just, it was really great. Also, just a teaser. So you go and click and listen. I had a a doll of Lula behind me that mm -hmm. our friend Savannah made and D did do the wrecker voice and noticed Lula behind me. So that was yes. great. Yes. <laughs> he also, he also said sky talkers. He was like, Ooh, yes. sky talkers. And then he was like, Oh, Lula. And then he was like, Lula, but in the record. <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah. And there's often like not a lot of time to, I feel like we always try to say, you know, I'm Caitlin, I'm Charlotte from sky talkers. But um, it's always fun. I don't know. I like our name and obviously. And so when like talent says it back, it's always it's always fun. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those are up now. And we had a really great time. And I will say it was um, Michelle was the last interview that we did that day. And I think the whole group that we were with, we were um, lucky enough to be with other Star Wars outlets again, like other podcasters. And she she sounds the most like her character, kind of her natural speaking voice. And so I think when she like came on the screen and said, hi, hi, everyone, I think all of us were like, oh, oh, my God, it's Omega. <laughs> it was just. Yeah. Yeah. There was just kind of this like, oh, <laughs> throughout the, that rippled throughout the Zoom room. <laughs> totally. Okay, so let's dive in to talking about episode one, Spoils of War. So we start off with the Bad Batch crew running away from, from some giant crabs. We saw this in the trailer. And damn, this episode is animated. The art design, it is just so gorgeous. And seeing the funky crabs, they're super cool. I loved them. I love them running away from it. I love the chaos. We're right back into it. I love the. I'm really obsessed with the funky crabs. I want them to be sold on <laughs> Batu in some little shop. I think it would be so great. I This is the scene we saw at Star Wars Celebration this past, I guess, last year now, by the time you're listening to this. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this opening scene is the teaser that they gave at Star Wars Celebration. And then they had that fantastic 
fantastic poster uh, that came out for season two of The Bad Batch. And I love that this is kind of where we opened. And it was just, it's it's this great kind of reintroduction to the crew back up to their old antics. I love that they're kind of chastising Wrecker in this scene. And he goes, well, I got it, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> still running he disturbed the pod oh yeah yeah he disturbed the pod. <laughs> such a wrecker thing to do which is funny mm-hmm. because that comes up in the next episode too when omega is the one that has to remind him to be stealthy and quiet <laughs> and he's like i was totally quiet <laughs> but i love him uh, yeah i thought this introduction though this kind of I guess a, a bit of a cold open. Um, like I said, it was a great reintroduction to the team and this like really lovely quiet moment before the chaos with Omega and tech. And I love the two of them together. We talked a lot about this last season about how it really felt like this season was focusing on Omega and Hunter's relationship and then Omega and Wrecker's relationship. And, and then for actual character development for the clones, it really felt like Hunter and Echo had kind of been given the most amount of quote unquote screen time, I would say. And I know that's one thing we were really hoping for in this season was to see more of Omega forming more of her relationship with um, Tech and Echo. And it feels like from this cold open that we're going to be getting more of that this season. So I was really glad to see that we opened with Tech and Omega and it's clear that he's training her and, and teaching her like having her study. <laughs> and I I was just really excited to see their dynamic kind of front and center in the very first few minutes of the episode. And I'm excited to see more of that throughout the season. Yeah, I love Tech. And I think it's really sweet that Tech is the one sort of homeschooling Omega yeah. and giving giving her all of the it makes sense to me that tech the brainiac guy would be the one to sort of train omega in in specs and things like that we need to talk about their new helmets and outfits Mm -hmm. i don't think a lot was said at least now in december that yes omega has a new helmet which is great she needed that and she's not wearing pajamas anymore (laughs) she has a whole new outfit but also the rest of the team i swear Maybe I'm crazy, but maybe I'm not. I don't know. All their armor is now different colors, and it feels a little different than how it was last season. And I like the bright colors, and I'm just happy that there's an update. Something that I think maybe people who weren't in Clone Wars fandom when it was airing might not know that in between seasons, there was so much discussion and speculation about updated character models in between each season. Right, Caitlin? Do you remember this? Like, yeah. it was so much like, what is Anna, what is Anakin going to look like in the next season? And then they would reveal it and he would look totally different. I mean, you can tell, obviously, in when you're watching Clone Wars and things like that. But I think for all, like people who experienced that, we were waiting for what's going to be the difference in this season in terms of outfits and things like that. And we got it. We got new outfits for all of them. (laughs) We got some upgraded armor. We got a new hat for Omega. And I am excited to see. And I honestly, I feel like her expressions are more complete. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that in our roundtable interview, um, with Brad Rao and Jennifer Corbett, we did. They were together for their interview. They weren't individual, and they talked about how in this season they actually used a lot of matte paintings throughout this season. And I think you can tell uh, in in like a great way. I think uh, Sereno has a lot of matte paintings in these first couple of episodes, and I think it looks absolutely incredible. This the animation in Bad Batch. This was true last season and is something we'll probably be a broken record on this season again is just absolutely top notch. And I think that that's something you were touching on with um, the character design and everything. The fact that we have new updated, I wouldn't say completely updated models, but like these updates in the second season, whereas with Clone Wars, it was season three before we got updated models and like got rid of Ahsoka's tube top. Like it was, it was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it took a Huge while. <laughs> Whereas here it's, it's great to see. I think, I think we're supposed to think that some time has passed between the end of season one and the end of, and the beginning of season two. Um, so I think I, I, I'm not one. I am one to speculate on how much time has passed, but I shouldn't because I just get way too in my head about it. But it feels like Omega has aged 
a lot or she seems she seems older like with the with you know her new outfit she's yeah. got longer hair she acts older we see more independence with her I don't know I I just think that the animation of with the character develop with the character models and then also with the, the environments of this are just absolutely incredible and from the beach that we see in the beginning to when they go on to Sereno it's just it looks immaculate and it looks gorgeous <laughs> there's kind of no other way yeah. to say it yeah, I think the question of how much time has passed is an interesting one because I agree with you. I think some some time has passed. I know kids age so fast, so I don't think it's longer than like two years, right? I think it's more like a year, maybe mm-hmm. a couple months. But what does matter is that the Bad Batch, after the fall of Camino, are back doing missions for Sid and doing a ton of things for Sid. And part of me finds some frustration with this. And I think as an audience member, they play into it, right? They play into our sort of frustration with the whole mission of the week type concept Mm -hmm. by making it clear that maybe the Bad Batch doesn't necessarily want to be doing this either. And it creates a conflict, right? We also are introduced to Wanda Sykes' character, Fee, um, who is a friend of Sid, and we don't really know where Fee sort of fits in with Sid in terms of friendship um, and how she's going to fit in with this whole arrangement. But I do think that it's an interesting like insertion into the dynamic between Sid having honestly like partial control over the Bad Batch and their whereabouts and their secrets too. Mm-hmm. And like what is what does Fee bring to the table? What she, will she bring to the table? And like that sort of like let's face it, Sid has a lot of blackmail on the Bad Batch yeah. that can be used later. And if you remember from the last season, I was I I love the character of Sid. I think she's great. I enjoy watching her, but I don't necessarily 100% trust her and I don't think we we should because she has so much dirt against the Bad Batch. She knows about them. She can reveal them at at a moment's notice. And then it's just an it, it creates an interesting conflict because the question is, why are they doing these missions? And the the answer is because of money so that they can support themselves, so that they can support Omega and create a good home for her. But throughout these two episodes, it's sort of like, should they be doing that? They're getting involved in, we're going to talk about it, you know, war profiteering and stealing from like a, a warmongering situation, a literal war chest they're stealing from. And it sort of gets into this question of like morality. Like, why are they why are they doing that? And then, of course, we see that Omega knows that potentially that Omega feels this guilt or this burden over being there and knowing that this is the life that they had to do because they took her in. Like she literally overhears Echo and Hunter talking about that. And I think that throughout this episode, there's a lot of guilt there that is understandable, but it really does set up a dynamic, even though it's sort of resolved by the end, it sets up a dynamic about why are they doing what they're doing right now in the time of the beginning of an empire while their fellow clones are, we think about Rex, like what is Rex doing? And in the last season when Rex just sort of left at the end and you get the sense that Rex is like doing (laughs) like uh, sort of a humanitarian effort for helping his fellow clones. And it's sort of like, okay, so what are the, what is the Bad Batch doing and why are they doing these weekly missions? With Sid, I just find that there's a lot of conflict there and something that I think that's what we're going to be unpacking throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I think last season we talked a lot about like a clone's purpose and their identity yes. and the choices that they make. And I know that that was something we talked a lot about, about where are they all going to end up, right? We talked about like Omega, if she ever meets a young Boba Fett, if they are treated like siblings, about if they are going to join the rebellion at some point, if they're going to do something completely different, if the Bad Batch splits up at some point too. And I think we're still seeing that conversation play out with the Bad Batch this season. And it feels like, especially from this first episode, that 
we're going to get some more clarity on what it is that they actually want to do. And I think we we were kind of talking about this like rift between Echo and Hunter that we're starting to see develop in this episode where it's very clear that Hunter's motivations in this whole escapade to the war chest, to Sereno, to Dooku's palace is for Omega and for the potential of having enough money to be out from under Sid's thumb. He, it's something he said a lot, but, you know, like this is no life for the kid and that kind of thing. And it's clear, you know, like in these, I, I'm thinking of when they're in Sid's bar, which I just have to laugh. I just, I love the idea of like Omega just like living in this bar um, <laughs> <laughs> with her four dads. I love Sid. it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um but in those scenes when, you know, when Wrecker's like, we took a vote and um, we want to go after the war chest and they have to, the way to convince Hunter is to make him see that this money can be used to get a better life for Omega. That's how Hunter is motivated to go through with this mission. And then when they're on the ship actually there, Echo is the one who's like, that's not, we can be doing more, right? It's not, it doesn't have to be just about us getting money or even just about Omega. It should be about something bigger. And Hunter is really hesitant with that. He's like, you know, I don't want to be in this fight because that's not what Omega deserves for a life. And that's the conversation that Omega overhears between Hunter and Echo of Echo being like, no, like this is because of Omega that we're even on this path right now. And it's, it is something that feels kind of partially resolved at the end between uh, Echo and Omega, which again, I'm really glad that we kind of had these two episodes of this, of Omega feeling that guilt um, and that burden for why the Bad Batch are on in this lifestyle that they're in, that clearly none of them want to be working for Sid in the capacity that they are. And I really loved that her and Echo kind of had this tension throughout and that Echo, I don't know, it just felt... It, again, it felt like their relationship, uh, getting to see more of how Echo feels about Omega. And um, we know that Omega is like for the family unit 100%. And it was nice to see Echo kind of confirm that for her and be like, we made the right choice. And like, yes, all of this is because of you, but that's actually a good thing. Whereas I don't think Omega was kind of interpreting it that way. And, you know, Echo sees it as this, like he's got this new lease on life from when he was saved um, from Skago Minor, which I wish I had pulled up what those creatures were that we love to repeat. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) What were, I can't, the gas bag headache. Like the Octodroid or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Skago Minor. That's um, like a throwback if you've been a long listener uh, since a real the last season of Clone Wars. I had no actual analysis. It was just Skago Minor <laughs> repeated <laughs> over and over again. But, you know, he's got this new lease on life and he got a second chance and he has kind of this experience of just how bad it was when he was captured like that in a truly horrible situation. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say is that he he sees this as an opportunity and he's it feels like Echo is starting to find and uh, verbalize what his purpose is. And it doesn't feel like that's what Hunter's motivation is right now and so what that is going to mean for the unit as a whole in the future i'm really curious to see we know that rex is going to come back into the mix we've seen him in the trailer so i'm curious to catch up on what he's doing um we know that rex and echo were very close before in the clone wars so i don't know i just i was really glad to have this conversation between omega and echo like i said which is at the very end of the second episode but What he says, I'll just read what he says since we're talking about it now. Echo says to Hunter, he says, taking Omega off Kamino was the right thing to do, but there are others throughout the galaxy that need our help. And then later at the end of episode two, when they're in the war chest, right? And Omega uh, says, you don't have a normal life because of me. And Echo tells her, Omega, please listen to me. You have to let it go. And later on on the ship, Omega says, I wanted to make things better for us. I know you all gave up everything for me. And Echo says, good thing we did or we might be fighting for the Empire right now or worse. We made the right choice, Omega. I do it all again. And I just, it's really sweet. And I definitely felt the emotions. Yeah, I definitely felt the fact that Omega is a child within a family who feels a guilt of her and a burden of her being there. 
it's like knowing really parents sad. are working like two jobs yes. to support you yes. kind of thing it's that oh I wish I could like how can I give back and I think right. we see sorry to interrupt but I think we see Omega being so intense and focused on this war chest throughout the episode um, that it's really surprising. And I think even the other, like the rest of the crew are kind of surprised at how intense, intent she is on this um, and her going off on her own to get it and just being like very, I don't want to say angry, but just very, yeah, focused, intent, um, stubborn about Mm -hmm. this is what we have to do we have to get the war chest we can't abandon the mission that's the mission and echo Mm -hmm. and tech are like no (laughs) that's actually not what matters right it's also like a peek into a child's mind where you're so focused on one thing where if you do this one thing then it'll make everything else easier and as an adult we know that that's not necessarily the case about anything everything is a longer road but when to see Omega so focused on like, we're doing the mission. We're here for the mission. This is the mission. This is the mission. When you're focused on that one single thing as a child, it really just feels like that's the means to the end. Meaning like, if you just do this one thing, everything will be fixed. Everything that was said before doesn't matter. We're just, we're just going to move forward in a way that I feel no burden, no guilt, because I was able to do this one thing and everything is better because of it. Yeah. And what what is going on in these two episodes that I think is really good is that there's a lot of like double meanings, a lot of metaphor that is playing into them. Like there's a lot of things to think about in terms of like sacrifices made, uh, the parent-child relationship, and then also what this like war chest symbolizes because for the Bad Batch, it could symbolize, well, for Omega, it symbolizes um, a freedom of guilt from, or like a freedom of burden. And the ba- and it also could symbolize like, well, it could mean uh, the bad batch getting to sever ties with Sid, but then it also has it's completely tainted with this the fact that it's literally a war chest. It's stolen. It is. It has been used to create a war. Um, we see the sort of extreme dark side of Count Dooku with this. Um, it makes us think about how the Clone Wars were completely puppeteered, and it doesn't. And knowing all that doesn't. It doesn't make us want the bad batch to actually take it at all because of it's so tainted, right? Yeah. Well, like, do we want them to take it? Do we because they're going to do something quote unquote better with it, which is a conversation right, that they have. That. Which I yes. got to say, I love um, to kind of bring back to Omega or continue talking about her throughout these two episodes. Um, I know we kind of touched on her growing up and her taking more independence. And I think we really see that throughout these two episodes, especially in this first episode, uh, Spoils of War, when she has the idea about how to get out of the uh, shipping container transport. And she's like, oh, I know what. This is the class four freighter, whatever it is. She's like, we can go do this. And Tech is like, yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) Sounds good. And so she has this idea that eventually gets them out of that sticky situation, uh, which is great because if you remember last season, uh, Hunter was always like, stay in the ship, stay in the ship, stay in the ship. And she Never did, but he kept telling her (laughs) to stay in the ship, Uh, whereas we really see her having a a little bit more agency and having ideas to kind of lead the group through some of these Mm -hmm. challenges. But I do appreciate, uh, you know, kind of thinking back to this Echo and Omega situation how, like you said, Charlotte, she is still a child. And so there is still a lot that she doesn't understand. Even when Sid is like thinking about why she's so intent on getting this war chest and all of these, these jewels, anything shiny and heavy is is what Echo says is because she's kind of has Sid in her ear and Sid is like, if you do this one thing, it's all like, that's enough. Like what you were saying, uh, like this is going to fix it all, but that's probably not true. No matter how much they got, it's not, Sid is still going to try and keep her them working for her I think at the mm-hmm. end of it and it she doesn't really see that bigger picture she doesn't see the big picture even when the clone troopers are all after them on Sereno and when they get to that old man Ramar's house and she wants them to go back out and Echo is like no there are clone troopers all over here and she 
she's not thinking of that big picture. And when Echo finds her at the war chest, she's like, don't worry, I got it. And he's like, do you not hear the blaster fire? <laughs> like, this is a problem. <laughs> and she didn't think that far ahead. She was so intent and focused. And anyway, I, I enjoyed kind of seeing the, that those two pieces within these two episodes of one, her having the correct idea, but then her also still being a child in these situations and not having the right answer and getting herself into a pickle, uh, into a tight spot that she has to be rescued from. Yeah, definitely. Okay. We're dancing around the fact that we are on Sereno, aka yes. Count Dooku area. Area? What? <laughs> Count Dooku's homeworld. Area. area. <laughs> Count Dooku's homeworld. <laughs> it's, it's been a long like couple of days. Okay. <laughs> Just, excuse me. Yeah. His, okay. So his, his property. It is his it property. It is his property. Okay. <laughs> it's anyway, his home planet. And we're in this, the creepy castle Sereno, basically, with the broken windows, which looks so gorgeous and really, I I love it too. And we've just been really treated to some amazing Count Dooku content. And this is just one of those things that if you know, it adds some, it adds another layer. Like if you're aware of the Clone Wars and Count Dooku and just the concept of like the Separatists versus the Republic and things like that then it adds another layer. But if you haven't watched The Clone Wars at all, don't know anything, it it's okay. Like this this is a this episode I feel like is a really good example of like how much storytelling happens in Star Wars that like it's not crucial to know that. You just you can know that count that the person that they're stealing from was a was profiting from profiting from the war, right? Yeah. And they um one of the bad batch gives a little two sentence synopsis of who he was right. to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's good. I I just feel like the being back in this area, I mean this is area. Oh my god, why do I keep saying area? <laughs> being back in this I never even said whatever. <laughs> um being back in this room is so cool. I just I almost wanted them to open a drawer and find his pajamas or something. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking I can't remember the only the the big thing I remember obviously is Count Dooku in his pajamas, but then this is uh, where the Night Sisters visited yes. Count Dooku and Mother Talzin, the ghost like erupts from his stomach. <laughs> exactly, exactly. As you do, it's so creepy. It's so cre- the whole place is just creepy. I mean, the cathedral like ceilings, the cathedral like windows mm-hmm. that are broken. Uh, you get the sense that. A lot has happened in this room, I guess. Um, even just the the secret exit out the back good. of I, yeah, so good. I don't know. I I loved exploring this area. Oh my god! Why do I keep saying that? <laughs> okay, I loved exploring exploring this place <laughs> and, and being back here. Okay. Yeah. Not allowed to say the word area, area ever again. <laughs> um. Yeah, I was super excited that we were going to Sereno and that it was Count Dooku's palace, even though I don't think I really understood. I I was shocked at how big the war chest actually was. There are multiple freighters that they are shipping off the planet. It was intense. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, our last piece of quote unquote content with Count Dooku was in Tales of the Jedi. And that definitely paints, I don't want to say entirely a sympathetic image of him because he does some intense stuff in Tales of the Jedi, but we're definitely supposed to have some empathy for Count Dooku and the way that he perceives the world or the galaxy, I guess I should say in this time period. But on Sereno, surrounded by his war chest and even uh, the way that Ramar talks about him later on in, in episode two, it's hard to have that same sympathy for him. And even the Bad Batch themselves have a very straightforward opinion of who Count Dooku was, which, of course, makes sense. Um, but it felt very automatic and like indoctrination given to them by the Republic. And yes. Yeah. And. This connects back to Tech's conversation with Romar later on in the episode, which I got to say, I loved. Episode two was probably my favorite of these two premiere episodes. I really loved when they were in Romar's house and in his cottage. And when Romar brings out that uh, that data bank or whatever that he's trying to fix and Tech yes. calls it a separatist archive and Romar responds, 
but it's it's not separatist. It's Serenian. And he says, we did exist before the war, you know. And Tech says, oh, I never thought of it like that. And I was like, yes, this is so good. Because so good. Tech didn't exist before the war, right? Like, exactly. It, That's it, what I was thinking, too. Yeah. It, His perspective is completely different. Yeah. And it, it's so it's so good when we think about, like, when we're thinking about the complexity of the clones and their ultimate purpose and the galaxy, what they feel their purpose is and how they kind of, you know, for as much as the Bad Batch are the quote unquote defective clones that are that the ones that have been engineered to be different, there's still so much about their mentality and their life and their perspective on the galaxy that is, uh, I don't mean this, this to sound bad, but like so small and narrow because of just how they grew up. And, and this journey, this show for them, um, part of them finding their purpose is about kind of losing that narrow minded view of the galaxy in a lot of ways. And I think that this uh, conversation uh, with Ramar was a great example of that. And I I just, yeah, I love that moment of tech going, yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that before. Like you were here before the war and before mm-hmm. all of this. It was just, it was a really great moment. And I hope we continue to see more of those moments throughout this season. It certainly feels like that's what they're kind of setting up. But yeah, yeah it, it was a great to be back on Sereno. And Count Dooku is a bad person, right? He is a villain. (laughs) And (laughs) what Ramar talks about, you know, like, oh, you think that war chest is only, you know, filled with treasures from other planets. No, he took them from his own people too. And to see the kind of decimated city of Ramar, of of Ramar, of Sereno is, uh, which I think are some excellent map paintings, (laughs) is, uh, it's quite shocking. And it's this, it really is a ghost town. And we see that in the palace and in the area, Dooku's area, and in the in the, the area, the area <laughs> in the decimated <laughs> cities and all of that. And yeah, I think this was like the best place to go because mm-hmm. or I, I'm sure there could be another good place for the Bad Batch to have gone. But to have them go to a place that is uh, defined by kind of enemy number one for the Republic during the heyday of the Clone Wars, be Count Dooku. He's right. He's the leader of the Separatists. He was the one they were always hearing about and his plans and what he's done and, and all of these things throughout the Clone Wars. And so what you were talking about earlier, Charlotte, of that like morality of them taking from the war chest and Omega asks that because Echo is like, it's corrupt that he took this from other people. And Omega's like, well, what are we doing? And Echo says, well, it depends on how we use it. And yeah, that's true, actually. But someone like Hunter just wants to use it to clear his own name. But also to make a better life for Omega, which is good. That's not a bad thing. But it's not like Echo. What Echo would want to do with it is to use it to help other people. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of reminding me, actually, of Andor and the payroll, the actual credits (laughs) that they were stealing Mm -hmm. uh, from Eldani. And what they were using that money for was to fund the rebellion and how a lot of bad things came out of that action in Andor. But mm-hmm. Well, there's an, there's definitely a parallel, I think, yeah. with Andor with the box falling no, on Tech's leg. The flashbacks to Nemec um, were bad, were very bad. Intense, <laughs> very intense. I Obviously, I think the Nemec situation was way worse, but yeah. well, it did remind yeah. me of that. And I think that you even commenting on that makes me think that there's this is an intentional parallel. Yeah, I agree. You're probably right. Um, having this like huge amount of money that they're stealing and, and for what end goal. Just to go back to the whole history box that, you know, separatist archive, no Serenian archive of it all. I think that in this cottage with Romar, two pieces of deconstruction are happening. First, that tech realizing that there's more than just the separatists versus the Republic. Um, not that he didn't realize that before. I think he does. But just this um, this moment of deconstruction, right, of, no, this is something more. There's a, This is more than just a three-year war that we were fighting. That this goes way further back. Yeah. And then another moment of deconstruction happens with Omega and the kaleidoscope toy that uh, Romar gives her. And I thought that this moment was really sweet because she is like, oh, is it treasure? Is it, what is this? You know, and it really does look just like the, the what they're stealing. It, the colors are the same. It, it feels exactly the same, but it's just for fun. And that's what he 
he tells her and the fact that she hasn't really ever experienced, you know, something that's just for fun is really sad, but it's also an awakening moment for maybe Omega here that not, again, not everything is a means to an end for like a mission, for a goal. Sometimes things are just fun. I think that what is going on with all these different dynamics within the Bad Batch in this episode is this realization that how do you balance the fact that the Empire thinks they're dead, right? Because of after after Camino, they think they're dead. So in this time period, Hunter and the rest of the Bad Batch are doing what they can to make enough money so that they can live off the grid and raise Omega and give her a good life, Okay. I think they're really playing at the concept of how do you maintain that childlike wonder? How do you maintain that child naivete that is so essential to being a child and growing up versus uh, <laughs> dealing with like war profiteering, pirating, and <laughs> being a like a, a stealing, right? Um, but hopefully using it for good, that Robin Hood mentality that I think comes with the Bad Batch. Um, and how does Omega fit into that? And I think it's also curious because at, while Omega is technically older than all of them, Omega is the most childlike because she didn't have the growth acceleration. But they're all still learning. They're all still learning at like a similar pace to Omega. But maintaining that that childlike wonder is so key to raising Omega for them, right? And how do you balance that? How do you let a kid just be a kid? How do you let someone just have fun when there's a war outside where you're running as sort of refugees, right? Away from the fact that they are supposed to be dead, that they're uh, have a target on their head because they're clones and what's going on in the rest of the galaxy with what, what should clones be doing? There's just all these questions that keep coming up that all go back to, wow, it's really fascinating that there are these former soldiers who are raising a young girl. And how do you balance that in wartime. Yeah. And I just got to say, I absolutely love the kaleidoscope scene. I thought the music that was playing over that scene was so sweet and it felt like a music box. And I loved it that she was just so excited to have this toy. <laughs> Ramar is like, it's a toy. You just play with it. Enjoy it. <laughs> um, yeah, I I will say I did think that the jewels at the end that Omega almost got were going to be worthless ultimately. And you have put in our yeah. notes that, that that was kind of the point too to think about this comparison, which I think is true as well. Um, I I guess I thought that she would ultimately get them and they would use them, and then it would come out that they actually are pointless. But uh, yeah, I think this comparison between these two jewels was was really well done in these episodes and kind of what kind of to your point of what you were talking about, about what ultimately matters and what they're going to do as a group moving forward with, you know, these missions that they're going on, these things that they're stealing, this lifestyle that they're living that is not the lifestyle for a child, which what does Omega even know of being a child? She's had very few experiences with what that actually means. And there are very few experiences that she's had with even other kids, right? Like she was with Hera last season, but that was the Hera also has a very intense childhood. But I suppose that that's also the the sadness, the tragedy, Star's tragedy, the tragedy of the Clone Wars of this time period in the galaxy is that very few children have a normal, safe, uh, quiet upbringing because they do live in this period of galactic war and incredible political strife. So it, it's the tragedy of all of them. But Omega lived her entire life on Camino until, you know, ab about a year ago. So this concept of a toy is, is completely foreign. And, you know, at this time in the episode, she's so set on, you know, like we said, that guilt and burden of trying to to salvage anything from this mission that they can. Her first response is, oh, are these jewels? Can I break this apart? Can I can I take this? I'm going to take this. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's it's just a toy. And I'm so glad that he <laughs> gave it to her at the end and that she now has it as part of her little her little collection, her kaleidoscope and Lula. It's, you know, her few belongings in this world. And I also got to say, uh, I loved Romar and I was so glad that he came and helped them at the end. It was kind of a weird place to be put in because the Bad Batch kind of forced him to take them to his house 
And Mm -hmm. I thought I was like, oh, that doesn't feel like a very morally good thing for our, you know, (laughs) heroes. They're just kind of like, yeah, so that's your house nearby. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I loved what Ramar said as they were walking in the door. He He goes, so what you're telling me is that your rogue clones running from the Empire's clones that used to be the Republic's clones. And... Yeah, they were tech going, you almost got it. I was like, yes, tech. It's a lot to keep up with, actually. (laughs) And how are you supposed to believe these people are who they say they are? Anyway, and it's also just a great kind of funny summary of, again, how personal choice can change who you're aligned with and how for so many people in the galaxy, they just see clones as one way because how could they not, right? They were literally created for war, for violence. And now that's what the majority of them are still doing. So how should you feel when one approaches you? Yeah, I totally agree. I was really concerned that Romar was going to die at the end. Mm -hmm. And I just did not need to watch an old man die in this. You know, I just did not want that. So I am happy that he just watched them leave and he goes back to his cozy cabin. Um, I think that's great. Hopefully it stays (laughs) cozy. Yeah, I want to be clear about something that you mentioned that I just feel like we weren't that clear about. Um, So, Caitlin, you thought that the kaleidoscope and the kaleidoscope was sort of foreshadowing the fact that the the war chest and the jewels in the war chest were going to be useless potentially, and that yeah, yes, that they would also be glass too, and therefore not worth anything. And I had noted in our notes that I think the point is is that they're actually completely separate that fun is separate from war mm-hmm. and you have like somehow you have to keep those separate and not mix those right yeah. and I think that if if the choice was for them to be meaningless I think that would sort of mix the metaphor a little bit of what we're supposed to come out of this episode thinking that mm-hmm. omega deserves to be a child that war profiteering is bad and was happening on Sereno. They were stealing from the citizens of Sereno and that Kaudugu was doing a lot to perpetuate the case of the separatists in this fake war that was orchestrated by, by Palpatine. And all of that is awful, but it's completely separate from a toy. Well, fake war, so, fake jewels, none of it matters. Yes. yes. And, but again, they're not fake jewels, right? Like they, it was part of. Yeah, it was an actual the yeah, war. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I just want to make sure that we're clear about that because I feel like it was a little confusing. So the main thing about this episode, and I agree with you, I think the second part was stronger than the first part um, that we need to talk about is the ending. Oh, <laughs> so I think this is shocking. And like, I, I think my, my mouth was on the floor in a way that it, I can't remember the last time it was like that for Star Wars, to be honest. Uh, the ending was so intense with Rampart. I forgot how much I hated this guy. He sucks so much. <laughs> I, I just, I cannot stand him. He is the definition of evil, smarmy. Like, I just hate him. I think coming off of Andor, I look at the the ladder of working within the imperial regime a little bit differently and how people are really out for their own to to rise in the ranks so clearly right like i think we saw that with dedra in in andor and we also saw it with krennic and rogue one so it's not like an isolated case but i do think that coming off of andor i'm thinking about rampart a little differently i still despise him and i think that it's very clear that he's trying to get ahead in the best way that he possibly can, right? And I cannot believe that he just shoots the clone who doesn't comply with him changing the in, quote-unquote inaccuracies of the report. Like, I I can't. It's not what are your even... Thoughts? What, what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> it's not even that he shoots him. It's that we see him fall off the cliff, that they show you... The way the cuts worked was shocking. So we don't see him shooting him. You see him <sighs> mid-fall. After but you too. you don't even realize when you first watch it that they're walking to the edge and that Rampart mm-hmm. is doing this specifically to walk to the edge by themselves. It mm-hmm. oh it <laughs> it was chilling. I was I was I was shocked too. It was, you know, just a reminder that these are intense kids shows if you even want to call it quote unquote kids shows i don't know i feel like this ending 
I I feel like the Bad Batch's audience, to be honest, is Clone Wars fans. Yeah. And Clone Wars fans are older. Yeah. I, so I, I think, yeah. And there's nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I can see it being kind of rough if you're like an eight-year-old kid who's just getting into Star Wars and this is where you start. But I, <laughs> I, I, I think that this is a lot. And the end, it's very clear that Rampart will stop at nothing at the expense of all clones that we saw in when he destroyed Kamino and now he's lying about it. He was definitely last season, the one who like wants to decommission clones. And that was a big thing for him throughout last season. And he, you know, has this vendetta against the bad batch and then, you know, he gets rid of them. And so this is a very interesting tidbit that we've learned at the end is that there's a report out there that says that the bad batch have survived and Rampart. It's not that Rampart, I thought this, let me back up. I thought this was a really interesting choice that Rampart was not immediately like, stop what you're doing with the war chest. You need to go after and kill the Bad Batch because they're not supposed to have lived. Instead, he's covering it up that they're still alive. He mm-hmm. he mentions, you know, if Tarkin finds out that this was a failure on Kamino killing the Bad Batch, you know, that's not good news for me. I thought that was a really interesting Why do you choice. think it's not good news? Because because it shows some sort of resilience or uh, like well, if, ability for the clones to not be fully eliminated. If Camino, if the goal of Camino was to destroy the cloning facility and also to destroy the Bad Batch, what Rampart mm-hmm. says is the Bad Batch being alive is a failure on my part, and. Mm-hmm he can't have that. Like, I think to your point about rising in the ranks, he told Tarkin that Camino was destroyed and the Bad Batch were destroyed. And now 50% of that is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So he is covering his own skin here. And yeah, admittance of failure there is probably a really big deal and will probably not be, would not be good for him. Yeah. I just think I'm walking away from this interaction that was just so intense by realizing that there's a lot of tension and a lot of perhaps unanswered questions about what happened on Camino in that last season finale. Mm-hmm. And like, how are we going to go forward with, with that? Yeah. Especially since apparently the Empire thinks the Bad Batch is dead. So who's what does this yeah. mean about, you know, Hunter wanting this better life for Omega, you know, if no one knows that they're alive? Well, now someone knows they're alive. Rampart knows they're alive. But Hunter doesn't know that Rampart knows. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it was a, a chilling end to these two episodes. And yeah, Rampart is back. He has not changed. In fact, he's only gotten worse. So yeah, he is a really good villain. I think for them, yeah, like really good. Yeah, that that ending, damn, so intense. So intense. Okay, okay. So overall, what did we think of these two episodes as a season opener for season two? I thought they were a great season opener. I think season one was a stronger opening, uh, honestly. So. But I think this was a great reintroduction to the season, to to the series and where they are, um, what's going on with them. And I think that the second episode was stronger than the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And the ending, I think, really catapults us into dramatic territory. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I I definitely agree that I think this is the season one opener was stronger but I do think it's really hard to go up against like the order 66 of it all yeah and I I think that was always going to be the case right it's hard to follow up also an extremely strong finale Mm -hmm. with season one and we have to deal with just to use the word that you just used the aftermath of it all with that and like what and to to check in about where the Bad Batch are right now yeah. when the Empire thinks they're dead and how are they using their time. Yeah, I kind of wish that they would have said something about Camino in this episode because, yeah, the finale, yeah. like having just watched the finale again not too long ago, it is so dramatic and it's so sad. And it's sad for Omega specifically. So I kind of wish that it was something that I don't know, have been brought up or referenced at least by the Bad Batch themselves and like Omega in this episode because, yeah, tonally, I think when you're watching, see, you know, the finale of season one, what is it called? Camino Lost, I think, to then go into this episode. It's like, oh, time has passed and we have moved on. 
Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. I think that would have been good, but who knows yeah. what else is going to be discussed in the future. But yeah, excited to see where we go. Can't wait for the rest of the season. A lot happened in these two episodes and I cannot wait for the rest of the season. Um, I think Caitlin and I are going to be covering Bad Batch on Sky Talkers a little differently than we have in the past because they released a schedule with um, sort of a mid-season double episode. I think we're going to be covering the season a little differently than we have in the past. In the past, we've done every single episode and we're just, we're not going to do that this year, especially because the Bad Batch overlaps with The Mandalorian. Just a lot going on and we don't want to get burnout. So we are going to be covering these two episodes, obviously. And then the next four episodes will be one episode of Sky Talkers. And then the the next, the 207 and 208 will be one episode. And then we're going to do the next four episodes as one episode. And then the next two episodes as one episode. <laughs> and then a finale double episode. I know that was confusing. As I was speaking, I was like, hmm, this is really hard to follow. Yeah. So I, I will be making a graphic so that it's easy to follow. And basically, we're going to be covering it all, but it won't be weekly. Sometimes yeah. it will be, but it won't be every single time. Yeah. I think we just wanted to make sure we put out there that, yeah, our recording schedule would be different for the season of Bad Batch and it wouldn't be week to week, which is what we've usually done. Um, so we just wanted to make sure if you were expecting one next week, <laughs> it, it'll just be a little delayed. Yes, exactly. But we will be covering it. So, and I think that this will, this is going to be great. So very excited for the rest of the season. Can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm excited yeah. to do kind of like these bigger chunks of episodes so we can really kind of see larger story arcs that are forming and stuff. I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to kind of have a different style of talking about the show uh, for us. I agree. Yeah. It'll be more thematic than we usually do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think when it comes to our television episodes, this is a little in the weeds, I realize. We're so speculatory that sometimes we lose sight of the, and when we do it week to week, you lose sight of the larger picture. And that's just the form and the function of covering something week to week. And it's not necessarily a negative, but you just don't necessarily get to talk about things in the same way that you would in an arc sense or anything like that. Yeah. So with this, I feel like it's going to be great. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this season. I am glad to have the Bad Batch back <laughs> and I can't wait for our next episode and for next week's episode too. Yes. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode all about episodes one and two of season two of The Bad Batch entitled Spoils of War and Ruins of War. If you want to talk to us about Bad Batch or anything else Star Wars, you can find us on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin and Plusher. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com. If you are interested in a uh, more by-the-numbers breakdown of that recording schedule for Bad Batch, that will be on our Instagram, where you can also follow us there at Skytalkers Podcast. Uh, as I said, we have our website, our TikTok, our email, all good places to find us if you're interested in hearing more about what we're up to. And if you have a second and want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we would really love it if you took a couple seconds to go and do that. It helps other people find our show. And if you are interested in other ways to support us and how to get involved in our Discord community, which will, of course, be breaking down the Bad Batch every week in the Bad Batch channel on our Discord, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Joey, Jackson, Lauren, Diana, Kelly, Susanna, Cherie, Katie, Sarah, Z, Swara, David, Sam, Bailey, Mary, Thomas, Amy, Marty, Kyle, Derek, Dylan, and Fifi. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.